Well, good morning. Um, I'm Scott. I've met a whole bunch of you guys over the last couple of years. Some of you guys have traveled down and uh, met our church down in Columbus, in case uh, you don't know where it's at. Uh, hey, good to see you. Um, some of you guys know really where, where it's at. We have, I guess we have former Cross City folks here, too. Um, we're down in this area called German Village, down below downtown uh, Columbus. And so uh, we've been there for almost five years now. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just a real blessing to be here with Substance and just to see God bless Ashland, Ohio, and different places around Ohio with places where God's Word is taught, God's glory and grace is exalted, um, and God's people are put onto the mission of Christ together as they love one another. And so uh, uh, Substance is an answer to our prayers that we were praying for years. Yes. So I'm, uh, I'm new to your building, so I have to get used to this echo. So uh, if I all of a sudden start lapping my words together, just give me grace. I'll uh, start pacing myself so you can know where I'm going. All right, so today, today's text is Psalm 19. So I'll let you turn there. We're going to be in that uh, the whole time. Psalm 19. And the reason we're going to go to Psalm 19 is for two reasons. So you guys are doing summer in the Psalms. We're also doing summer in the Psalms. And uh, Psalm 19 was very impactful to my heart as I went through it because it does a couple of things to us. Number one, it lets us know what our God is doing. Because in the gospel, uh, you and me and everyone on this planet, we're running away from the Lord. We are setting our own agenda. We're telling him what is true and false. That's what our great-grandpappy Adam and Eve did back in the day. We set the agenda. We're running this way. In the gospel, God comes to us and tells us, um, I'll break that. I'll break that bondage to that independence from me, that authority, supposed authority over me, and I'll bring you back to this relationship with me where you'll learn my ways, and I'll tell you what's truth, and you'll find life and joy as you listen to me. And then he goes, but, but there's got to be something, there's got to be a payment for this, right? Because you're actually owned by somebody, somebody else. So he sends Jesus Christ to live and die, rise again, and he provides payment to free us from that bondage to sin. And so through Christ, we are brought to God and into this new life. And so in this new life, yes, we get to be with him forever and ever in heaven. But here and now, we get to know him. Here and now, there's a relationship with him. And it's not just simply a relationship of what we need to do, it's what we want to do. And so today's message, I think, number one is helpful, this psalm, is because it lets us know what our God is doing, it lets us know how our God is communicating. And number two, I'm hopeful for, and that's what I've been praying for this morning, is that in here, in this psalm, it talks a lot about exactly what will make you satisfied, exactly what will revive your heart, exactly what will give you understanding and direction in your life. And I don't know very many of you, but I do know you well enough to know that you need reviving, and you need joy, and you need direction in your life, as I do, because that's the universal need of all humans. I feel it every day. And you have felt it as well. So my hope this morning is that we look at this passage, we see where, where God is doing, where he's going. And number two, that you'll find hope and joy in newer and greater levels if you've never heard of Jesus before, that this would bring clarity to you. And if you've known Jesus for 85 years and you've walked with him, that this would be a fresh coat of paint and refreshing from your king to you of how he has designed you to live in joy and under his direction. So let me pray for us and we'll go into Psalm 19. Father, it is a joy and an honor for me to be here this morning and amongst your church in Ashton, Ohio. 
And I'm so thankful to you for what you've created in Substance Church and even this building and everything you've put together here, Lord. I pray this morning simply that you would speak to us through your spirit, through your spirit's word, and that you would open our eyes to see what you want us to understand about yourself, and that it would grow our confidence in you, grow our confidence in speaking to people, and that it would grow our confidence in running to you and listening to what you have to say, and that you would give us the delights of our heart in you. In Christ's name, amen. So as I speak this, um, I, I, you're going to hear me say me, you're going to hear me say you, us, we, it's all the same. It's all the same. I'm going to speak this uh, to everyone in the room this morning, understanding this. It's kind of the assumption, let's say we're all people that have understood what Christ has done, and we say, we've all told Christ, I want you, I want your work applied to me, I want to be a son or daughter of God. So, that's the language they're going to be using. If you're not, if you don't know him for sure yet, um, I hope that this morning gives you insight on what the life is that he offers you. And at any point in time, you can change that by sitting in your chair and just saying, Lord, I want you. I want you, and I want Christ to count on my behalf, and I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to be one of the loved ones of yours. So, but my language will be very much you and me and us, and um, that's because of the gospel in the beginning of it, we're, we're broken, right? We're all broken, and because Christ comes to us and brings us to himself, there's great camaraderie in that. We're all on the same team. My expression of sin will be different than your expression of sin, and your temptations will be different than mine, but it's still the same heart business going across the lines. Let's go to Psalm 19. There's a lot of stuff in Psalm 19. I'm going to cover verses 1 to 11 today. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit is to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward." So as we go through this morning, here's, here's the title and the point of the sermon. This is the God who speaks love. This is the God who speaks love. In the first part of this passage here, verses 1 to 6, I just want to read it and kind of explain a couple things through it. You can follow along in your text or on your phone or there's loaner Bibles, taker Bibles back there. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So he goes, the heavens, the sky. In, uh, in Hebrew, when you're reading Hebrew poetry, uh, there's a lot of duplication. It says something once, and then it says it again, just a little bit off center. And it's trying to expand it or deepen it. What it says, so you'll, if you're doing your devotions through Psalms, you'll notice there's like a lot of things repeated. And that's what's happening through there. It just repeats, and it's expansions of the first idea. So the heavens above declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. So he's saying... The heavens and everything which you're seeing in nature around us 
It's telling us that God is there and he's glorious. This is what God is saying. He's communicating that he's there, that he's glorious, and the things that we see are his handiwork. They're the things that he is doing, the things that he has made. Verse 2. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. So there's a continual outpouring of communication from God through what he's done in nature. The info about God is always going out. Verse 3, there's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard, or if you have an NIV, or where their voice is not heard. So there's no place on earth, there's no people, there's not a person on earth where the voice of God being glorious and the creator of all things is not heard on a daily basis. Verse 4. Their voice goes throughout all the earth. Or literally, it's a funny word there, it's, it's their measuring line. Their standard goes throughout the earth. So not only is this message going out, but it's a communicating standard that he's there and that we measure up to him. He doesn't measure up to us. And it goes throughout all of the earth, every corner of it. Verse 5. Uh, sorry, end of verse 4. Uh, the voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Okay, so he says this really weird thing. So I'll read it. I'll explain it. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. So that's in, a, in Hebrew culture, that's like right before the wedding, the bridegroom's in his chamber and then he comes out to take his bride and like do the whole wedding ceremony. Idea? He's pumped. He's looking forward to this. He's not dreading it. The bridegroom comes out with a goal in mind. So the sun comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Uh, we, have a, we have a marathon that goes around our neighborhood all the time. Once a year, actually. And, uh, and there's a difference between the strong men running and the non-strong men running. The strong men come like, they're way ahead of the crowd, and they got to strive, they're smiling, and they're focused. But man, they're going, and they're going with intensity and joy. The not-so-strong men that come towards the end, I mean, they're like dragging their legs, there's misery on their face, bloody spots on them, those kind of things, there's a misery to it. The sun here goes out like with the joy and expectation of a bridegroom and with the pace of a strong man. Like he's on a mission, he knows what he's doing. It's rising from the end of the heavens in a circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. So what I think we have here is an analogy. He says, in the sky and the heavens, God is proclaiming this message of he's there, he's glorious, he does this great work, he is the standard of all things, and it goes to all people at all times with no exception, and in this, he has set up for himself a way that he is the illuminator of all people. And just like the sun moving up from the morning to the evening that sweeps across the sky, and it says, and nothing is able to escape its heat, God is moving across all of humanity, showing humanity who he is by what they see when their eyeballs open up in the morning and drive to work and plow their field and feed their kids and go to school. God is constantly communicating to us that he's there, he's glorious, and this world is filled with his handiwork. In this beginning part, he's teaching us that he is the God that speaks. Through nature... Through nature, God is very fairly communicating to every person that walks on the planet every day that he's there. Why is that important? Well, it's helpful, number one, because he's still communicating to you that he's there. He's still communicating to you that he's there. And we see it every day. We see these amazing things. Um, 
I might complain about being a little sweaty halfway through this message. Just warning you, I'm from California in the desert. I felt like at age 18, I'd done all the sweating I need to do for the desert, and so I, I get a little whiny about the sweaty thing. But because I'm from California desert, when I drive around Ohio, I am blown away by the greens, the different shades of greens, and the water, and the shapes of leaves, and the plants, and the things that grow here, and the animals. Uh, this week, I came around a corner, spotted a bald eagle. It was amazing. And then I saw an osprey, and that was also amazing. And then I saw a pretty cool beetle. That was pretty darn cool. And then I was on wimp.com, which is these cool videos, and there's this video on the red-throated hummingbird that's sitting there, and it's flexing its, it's flexing its feathers in its neck and, like, shooting from greens to vibrant, like, scarlet. Like, I don't know, I'm just trying to draw on some chick, I think. Um, I see these things. And these are the expressions of God that he is there. And he is so intricate and beautiful. And he's so generous in his beauty and what he's made for us. And every day across this planet, God is speaking to his people. And that affects us as worshipers. That affects us as the people who carry God's message to the people around us. Every day, God's using nature to fully communicate that he is there to us and to the world around us. And so if we do that, when we look at that nature... That nature causes us in our hearts to do two things. Either shun him or run to him. Shun him or seek him out. Um, there's a couple other passages. I'm just going to read them to you. You don't have to turn there. This is not the only place that scripture talks about God doing this thing. And maybe already you're like, man, I don't know. You're saying that God is speaking to every single person every single day in the planet and testifying that he is there. And I've got a bunch of friends that don't agree with that. That's true. You do have a bunch of friends. And I have a bunch of friends that don't agree with that. And that's what they say. Um, but our job is to read what he says and say, what is he actually doing, right? So here's a couple of the passages that are helpful to me. Psalm 97.6, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. All the peoples. Romans 1, verses 18 to 25. Okay, this, and in the New Testament, he really breaks it out. Really shakes out like what he's doing. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth? Suppress. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So in other words, allows sufficient testimony to every person who would not believe something happens. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when the loud testimony is not heeded, the heart becomes hardened, dulled to the testimony. And this explains why it may not be so obvious to your grandma when she looks out the window that God made that beautiful oak tree and the beautiful the birds that are sharp, chirping in it and the amazing lawn that grows underneath it. Because there's a hardness in our hearts because of our sin. But our hope is in a grace that is far greater than that, that will come and break that. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the Creator who is blessed forever. So this, this is probably written 2,500 years ago by, by David. 2,500 years ago, without the glories of the Discovery Channel, the Smithsonian Institute, 
and National Geographic itself. He's saying that we know that God is doing this. God is communicating who he is. But when we're not accepting what he's saying about himself, there becomes a hardening. There's a dulling. But yet still God is communicating ever so slightly through all of that to all of mankind. But now we even know more. We've got a television, right? We can, we can flip the channels. We can, see, we can see things through telescopes and microscopes and HD television that would blow David's mind. Uh, we can see so much more of this, of this testimony of God all the way around us that screams out the beauty and the generosity of God. It's not chaotic mush. You know, if you ever, um, like one of my favorite animals is the mimic octopus. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the mimic octopus. Um, it's this amazing octopus that lives on the bottom of the ocean somewhere that not only matches its exact colors to whatever it lands on, but textures too. So if it lands on something sharp, it creates sharp ridges. If it's kind of rough, it creates rough ridges. Amazing, beautiful, generous design that God has made because if we took everybody, every scientist we had in the world with all the technology and put them in a room, you're not making the mimic octopus. And furthermore, if we put two rocks in a box and shook it till kingdom comes, you're not coming up with the mimic octopus. These are beautiful, created design things that God has made that have babies. And the babies do the same things. It's amazing what he does. He's done it all the way around us in the water, in the sky, on the land. God is a God who is there. And he is communicating clearly to us that he has made the place, that he's there, and that he is the measure of all things. That becomes helpful to us because we are people who are still with eyes. And God is reassuring you every day that he is there. And it also becomes helpful to us as we communicate Christ to people around us because um, we can point out the wonderful things outside. We can see how wonderful God has made the things. And you get to think about it in terms of, is that really something beautiful, Lord, that you made? Or is that something that's kind of random out there? And if really, I believe it's something beautiful the Lord's made, and I've actually given credit to the Lord for it, it starts to come out of my mouth because I really believe it. So my wonderful wife, Melissa, who today marks our 18th anniversary. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, if she makes a beautiful cake, gorgeous cake, I walk downstairs and I see this beautiful cake. I, I'm not going to simply go, man, that, hey, sweetheart, come on downstairs. Did you see this beautiful cake that you made? But this cake is beautiful. I, I'm actually going to compliment her. I'm like, this, hey, this is amazing. Look at this amazing thing you made. And then when I tell people about it, I'm not going to go around town and say, hey, you know, I walked downstairs and I, I saw a beautiful cake. I mean, the thing is gorgeous. Part of my story is, and my wife made it. My wife made it. And that actually brings some of the beauty. It's beauty that flowed through my wife into the making of creating cake. I can't really get to tell you about the cake without telling you about the gorgeous one who made the cake. Right? It's all integrated. So when we see and understand that God is speaking through nature and he's speaking to all people across all times of his glorious nature and his handiwork, it actually comes out in our language if we really believe it that way. But you won't believe it that way until you discuss it that way with him. So this is why I think it's really healthy to get a stool and a Bible and go sit in a field sometimes and talk to God about his beautiful created nature and the things that he has made. But not only has he actually made these things and communicated to us in nature, He's spoken specifically. Let's go back to our text, verse 7, 8, and 9. So, he made it in nature. He's communicating that he's there. Communicating he's glorious, that he's made it. But when it comes down to the details of how he thinks and what he wants us to know about ourselves, about him, he's put that somewhere. It's in his word. He says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts and the decrees of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are altogether righteous, altogether. God's reigning word endures for all time, is completely true and right. So this is what I want to catch. Yes, God is the one who speaks, but God is the one who speaks love. Look at the benefits that are listed in here. Number one, reviving the heart in verse 7. You want your heart revived. I, I want my heart revived. I need that. Number two, making wise is simple. Who wants to be an idiot? Not I, not you. So it makes us non-simple. Uh, verse 8, rejoicing the heart. Who here wants to permanently depress the rest of our life? Not I, not you. We want the rejoicing of the heart. And then finally, the enlightening of the eyes. Eyes that get it. These things that God gives us in his word are things that we need and these are things that we want. So when God is communicating to us, and he's communicating us through the things that he has um, written down, and I'll explain that in one second, the things he's written down, these are things not only that are the full authority of the world, but they're your joy. They're my joy. They're hope. We want this. This is the God who speaks love. Everything, everything that God says, from commandment to testimony to prophecy and promise, in it we find true joy and we find true life. God's specific communication. Specific communication. All right, so let me break down a category. Deep end of the pool for one second. So in case you have allergic reactions to the deep end of the theological pool, this isn't the deepest. This is kind of like the midway, just over that blue tile line in the pool, like the four to six foot line here. There's two ways that God has spoken to humanity. Number one, general revelation. That is the things that we see. Uh, the concrete your feet are on. The trees we see out here, the water running through your kind of creek that sits a drainage ditch. I'm not sure what it is. That thing right there. Uh, the sky, all these things, the stars and nature. This is general communication. And in this, God communicates that he's there, he made it, he's glorious, and the general things about his nature, that he is the measure of all things. But he doesn't, you'll never go and sit in a field and go, man, I bet you, I bet you there's one being named God, he's a spirit, and there's probably three persons within that spirit. I mean, because there's like an elm tree, an oak tree, and a maple right there. Heck, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're not going to ever get that from looking at a mountain or looking at a weevil. Um, these are things that God has spoken to us, and he's done it several ways that we've seen in the Old Testament and New Testament. He's spoken audibly from heaven. He's carved it on rocks. He, at one point, used a finger on a wall with some guy in Iraq. There are times he put it in dreams and people. He's passed it through angels, but he's quantified it and gathered it all together in what we call his word. His word. Which, interestingly enough, um, we have a lot more than what David had when he was speaking about it. So he's saying in this word, we, we have the general revelation where God shows us who he is, and the general revelation will never get enough to actually know who Christ is and come to Christ. We have to hear his special revelation which is where he's communicated specifically to us, we have to hear that to understand who Christ is to be able to run to him. Because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. So that's why in Romans 10 it tells us, how are they going to hear without a preacher? Because they got to hear. And preacher, don't think of me dude or Ronnie dude or anyone else that's talking here. Us, all of us who speak the message of Jesus, how will they hear without someone communicating? They won't. I mean, God has his ways. Sure, maybe he could send him an angel. But don't count on the angel thing in Ashland, Ohio. 
uh, count on the you thing. You know, he's given us cars, given us neighborhoods, given us relationships. We're the ones that communicate. So we have general revelation, and we know that from general revelation that God has exposed himself to all mankind. But general revelation alone only brings us to the point of accountability. But then he's brought special revelation. This is the expression of who he is, and the promise of hope and grace and forgiveness and love, and that comes through his word. That comes through things that he's spoken in here. And so in these verses right here, this is talking about the special revelation. Herein is hope, and it's designed to do something in us that we can't do ourselves, and mountains and trees and birds and fish can't do in us as we look to them. We need the special revelation. So by listening to this, and listening to all of it, because he says, you know, hey, it's, it's the teachings, it's precepts, it's principles, all of it together is something we love. So you, 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 if you love God, you can't say, hey, I'm a Christian, and I really love all those red letters in the, in the Bible, but if it's black letters, I don't do that. I'm just a straight-from-the-mouth-of-Jesus thing that doesn't work in Jesus' book. And if you go, hey, I'm an only a Psalms person, or, you know, I just don't, I don't dig those minor prophets in the Old Testament, or like, I hate Leviticus, or something like that. It doesn't work. All of God's words are his loving communication, just the whole thing. So, so David's not offering like a little bouquet, like a, like a buffet, where you can like nibble on the croutons of love statements and take this or that. It's the whole thing that we embrace that he communicates to us. And it has effects on us. It has deep effects. These are words of delight, benefit, of blessing, which really demand, first of all, that we have a need. I, I know that I need reviving. I know that I need joy. I know that I need wisdom. Because I don't have that. I don't bring that to the table. I don't come preloaded with that. Not with the real stuff, ultimately. I need these things from him. And it's interesting, uh, in our church, we recently went to the book of John, and Jesus does really interesting things, all the time. I think one of the things that struck me going through the book of John is that Jesus, on any, any page in the book of John, any scene where he's talking, you're going to find him one moment saying, you need to do this. I, I'm the king, I'm the Lord, I reign over all things, and you need, you need to do this. And then the next conversation... He doesn't mention you need to do it. He says you want to do it. Come to me, and you'll thirst no more. Come to me, eat, you know, eat. I will satisfy your hearts. I will, del- I will give you delight. I will give you my joy in you, and, and that your joy will be full. And so he's saying you must, and the next time he's saying you, you want to. And he says you must, you want to. But that's always been the way that he's worked. Always been the way he's worked. That's why in this text, in chapter 19, he talks about his rules, but he talks about his precepts, he talks about the things he's teaching us. He gives us, the way he communicates to us is in two ways. We want to follow him, but we must follow him. And there are days, um, uh, Melissa and I talk about this a bit. The way I grew up, um, I grew up with the sense of I must follow him. And I must. But I didn't really think much about that I want to follow him, that there's joy in following him. So I have a tendency to buckle down and do the thing I ought to do. Um, often without even thinking about the joy that he offers, living in the joy of that. So for me, it's kind of a, a discipline of, I know I must, but I need to push into the wants, the delights of spending time with him, learning how to delight in him. I need him to grow me in that more and more, and I feel like it's a journey in my life where I'm growing in his joys. Um, but cheesy analogy for the day. I've got lots of them. Off the, off the mic, I'll give you more. But it's, it's kind of like this. You know, you want to stay in your car. You want to stay in it. That's a want. You know happiness is staying in your car and not being thrown at the windshield. 
But sometimes forces outside your car or inside your car contradict that. And your car rolls and it wants to flip you up. So that's why you put a seatbelt on, right? Because the seatbelt there is the must that keeps you in place when the want doesn't work, right? When forces inside your heart want to throw you outside the will of God, we still remember, okay, even though like, I feel like I want to do this, Jesus has told me he's the reigning king of heaven. He said this is where life and joy is. And even if I don't want to at the moment, I know I do want to. I want to follow him. I want to honor him. So Jesus' commands, even back in the Old Testament, are always a must and want together. Everything God says, from commandment to testimony to prophecy to promise, brings us true life and true joy. And then finally, the third part of this. So here we are. He's a God that speaks, and we're sitting in two ways this morning in his voice. You're sitting on part of it, the chair and the physics that hold it up and keep you from crashing the floor, and that diaphragm that's contracting, expanding, causing you to breathe and exhale that you haven't been thinking about to this moment. All those things are communicating God's presence and his superiority to you. But then second of all, what's in your lap or in your bulletin or on your phone or if you're just just going on natural and listening to me read this morning, this is the specific way. He's a God who's speaking and he's speaking love. He's saying, listen, I do have the ways of life. You want to come to me because you want to be revived. You want to have joy. You want to have enlightenment. You want to get it. You don't want to be simple. Simple ain't good. So you want to come to me. So this is the God who speaks and he speaks joy to us. And let's finish off the last things he says in verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. And since, so since God is the treasure of all treasures, there's no sweeter or more valuable possession to us than what he is telling us, and what he's promising us, and the ways we actually get to taste and enjoy of his fellowship. The words there in verse 10, more to be desired than gold. As a listener, as a reader, all of us as we look at this, I think, I, I think you need to have a really prayer over this. Really, more to be desired than gold. We know gold is the good stuff. And he goes, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Is the word of God really more desirable than a ton of really fine, high-quality gold? I mean, that's cash, folks. That's cash. That's quality, right? Is, is that really true? Or was David having a seizure with his pen when he wrote this? Or is this really the Holy Spirit working through David who's saying, really, my word is more valuable than much fine gold and even more delightful? That's the next portion. Verse 11. Uh, sorry, verse, verse 10. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Like, more satisfying, more delightful even than honey. And like the, the sweetest stuff with no chunks of bee parts and wax in it, the drippings of the honeycomb. Is it really that valuable? And is it really that sweet? And does it really do this to me? Verse 11. More over by them is your servant warned, and keeping them great rewards. So... There's a great, great value and desirability in your word according to you, Lord. And you say that in that, I'm warned because that's the must part. And there's great reward, that's the want part. So I don't know the rules by myself. I don't have enlightenment by myself. I'm simple by myself, and I need reviving by myself. So in it, in, it, in here is where you're going to teach me 
and warn me against being an idiot and against all those things that we know we've already tested, but in it also, you're going to give me great reward. So in these words here, this is where my hope and my joy is found. I think you need to have a, a really prayer with the Lord. And I do too. So I don't know how many years I've known the Lord now. Um, 30-something years. And um, there's this continual process of God saying, hey, I'm going to give you life and joy. But I'm going to give you life and joy in me. And the number one way that you hear what I'm saying is you read what I'm saying. I sent my spirit. I crafted my word. And in it is tons of stuff that you need. And quite honestly, you're going to forget it 10 minutes after you read it. So we keep reading it, keep reading it. And I don't know if you noticed this, but it's kind of thick. There's a couple thousand pages there. So we keep going into it. And he says, come back, come back into it. And he leaves the spirit in us so he can give us understanding of what is being said there. So he can expose the difference between what he says and what I believe. Is this really the place of joy? So let's say this morning that you're 10 years old. And or let's say you're this morning you're 80 years old. There's a whole portfolio of things that you think are going to make you happy, make you wise. And so if you're 10, I don't know, a 10, 12, 14, 15, something there, might have something to do with games. Like, hey, I need to pick me up. I need me a little bit of Minecraft. I need a little bit of Terraria. Is that the name of that thing? Yeah, something like that. And Animal Jam. Um, I need these games. I need a little bit of playtime. I need some more toys. I need some more friend time. I need these things, and these things will bring me life and joy. If you're a little bit older, your portfolio changes. I need some cash. I need a lady. I need a man. I need, I need a career. I need significance. I need to get out of my mom and dad's house. I need to do this. I need to do that. Um, I, need, I need to get married, okay? And then once I get married, I need to have kids a kid, and then multiple kids, and then the kids need to look this certain way, and then the kids need to play these certain sports, and these kids need to go to these certain schools, and then they need to get out of my house, and then eventually I need this, and I need this retirement, and I need this type of car, and I need that lawn that exceeds at least one acre in size, but under three, because I live in Ashland, Ohio, and it needs to be mowed flat, and I need all these things, and if I have these things, my heart will find joy. There's a portfolio of joy that you have that isn't good, it's going to keep coming up in your heart. So I just want you to notice this. A, do you know what your default portfolio of joy is in your life? Because unless you know what your default portfolio of joy is in your life, you're not going to do very well in hearing Christ's countercall saying, here is the real portfolio of joy. To be with me personally, to sit in fellowship with me and read my words and find reviving and find joy and find enlightenment and found wisdom. So if we don't know what, what we're up against, we're going to get bulldozed by it. We're going to keep plugging it into the same sources of things that we think that we're going to get satisfaction. If I'm out of debt, if I have my savings account going, if I have all the significance and the safety of living, or whatever it is, uh, we're going to keep pushing after those things as opposed to God saying, hey, run to me. Run to me. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. I'll shower you with joys. I'll shower you with significance. We find it in God's word. So I told you this morning, I really like the psalm and help by this psalm in two ways. It is so helpful for me as a child of God to know what my God is doing. My God and your God 
is circling this world, speaking out his presence and his authority and his glorious nature to everyone on the planet every single day. Whether it's getting super well reception or lower reception, it's going out and it's getting to every single person. There's no people, there's no place where their voice is not heard. So he's circling a place and he's pumping out this message. But then he's spoken specifically. So with my friends that don't know Jesus, I want to point them towards the specific words of what he said and say, hey, at least listen to what, what he's saying and, and give him a fair shot to the claims and, and, the, and the promises of Jesus. That for me as a worshiper, I look around and say, God, you are there. You do amazing things and it bolsters my faith. But then I want to be in your word because I want that reviving. I want that joy. I want that wisdom. I want that enlightenment. And you're not a liar. You're not a liar. It is better than much fine gold. And it is sweeter than the sweetest thing on this planet that I think would be satisfying. You are not a liar. Instead, my natural propensities, those are lies. One of them is a lie. I don't call you a liar anymore. I'm blessed to know what my God is doing. And number two, I'm blessed by this gracious, loving God who's spoken to us and told us where you can experience and I can experience most joy. So I might recommend for you, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I'm not your dad, um, but I've been memorizing this and trying this for me personally. These verses, verses 10 to 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them is great reward. So if that's true, then I need, I need to, I, if this is the heartbeat of God's communication to me, then I need to frame that into my life. My life needs to be framed around God and his ability to speak to me in his word. So I frame my life around it. I find ways to, to read and pray. Get up in the morning and read and pray. Read and pray at night. I, I find my ways that I'm going to try to do this. But maybe even just memorizing this might even help us. Even battle the battle of faith when you go to bed and you're setting that alarm clock. All right? And I'm setting my alarm clock. And I quote to myself, Lord, your words are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them are your servant warned, and keeping them is great reward. 20 extra minutes, 20 fewer minutes. 20 extra minutes, like, Lord, okay, I trust you. It is greater reward. So I'm rolling back the alarm clock, and I pray worshipfully and scripturally over my alarm clock, and I scroll it back, because not one time in all my years have I ever scrolled it back and spent time with the Lord and regretted it. And every stinking time I get the extra 20 minutes or extra 40 minutes, I go, dang it all. Like, this, I don't wake up and go, oh, man, God, sleep was so much more rejoicing in my heart than you worried. I should do that more often. I always, he always wins in it. So I set my alarm clock with that, and then I memorize it, and I, I literally did this for one week, and it's very helpful. Alarm clock goes off, and, you know, Mr. Snoozy Finger is starting to crawl out and wants to hit that. Instead, I, if I'm memorizing this, I say, okay, Lord, I feel it. I know what that hand's going over there to do. But instead, your word is where you tell me I'm satisfied. Your word tells me it is more satisfying. It's better, more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and I do need warned today. And, and in keeping them is great reward, and I want reward. So, Lord, um, I will trust you in what you say because of what I've, these specific words I've memorized. I'll trust you in that over than the temptations of my heart that's controlling Mr. Snoozy Hand over there. And I then put my feet on the floor and say, all right, Lord, let's do it.
Let's do it. Teach me your ways and give me your life. And I'll just testify to you guys as a 42-year-old brother in this life. He has never, ever let me down. I may experience greater or lesser joys in it through times of prayer and reading, but he has never, ever let me down. That He will never, ever let you down. So he is a God who is there. He's speaking to the world, and he is speaking love. If you'll seek him, he exposes who he is in his words, and he's speaking to us words of delight. The King Jesus is one who truly is the Lord and Savior of the world. But when he says that he is the Lord, he doesn't mean one who reigns over you with a rod of iron and tells you gruffly what to do. He says, listen, this is what you must do, but this is what you want to do. This is where you are designed to live and thrive and have joy. So my prayer this morning for you is that you will have confidence in the God who is there and who speaks love. And number two, that you will taste of that love in the word that he's given where you find that love. All right, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would, through the power of your spirit, um, take this text and open our eyes. Let us go back and read it and the, the really bold things it says here. And give us joys in our heart to say, this looks different than what I tend to think about it, Lord, and I'm either going to disagree with you or agree with you. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring us as listeners to points of disagreement or agreement, or maybe just points of confusion. If uh, they look at it and they're not sure, um, put them on a quest to finding answers for that. And then bring them to a point of agreement or disagreement, Lord. And, of course, I just pray for agreement. I pray that you would please, over all of us, um, unfold your beauty and your majesty over us and draw us to yourself, that we want to be there, that we love you, and that our hearts would delight in you, and that we would taste of the reviving, the joy, the, the uh, enlightenment, and the making wise that we know we so badly need and want. So God, we, uh, we're at your feet. Um, we ask that you would again pour out through your fatherly love on us, this great love for us. In spirit, we ask that you would stick these things in our hearts and draw us to you. We love you. We thank you that you have made us the beloved sons and daughters of God through the work of Jesus. In spirit, we thank you that you indwell us and lead us today. In Christ's name.